God. So I um, am a fan of history in general, and I particularly enjoy the um, early American period. And um, I was thinking as we were reading the beginning story of the nation of Israel, it was interesting to think about the founder of our nation. So we're going to do a little audience participation this morning, um, and I want to see um, what stories we know about, oh, who's the founder of our nation? Pick, pick one guy, if you're going to pick one guy. Washington, right? I mean, there's not just one guy that founds uh, uh, Israel either, but let's pick Washington. So, we all know some stories about George Washington. Um, don't have to tell me the whole story, but yell out any word, any part of a story that you know about George. I don't care if it's true or not that you've heard about George Washington. The cherry tree. Okay. Raise your hand if you know the cherry tree. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Great. What, uh, any other stories? Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, he lost a lot of troops to the British. He had some uh, unfortunate battles. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, Bob? Crossing the Delaware. Okay. Fantastic. Good. Yep. Wooden teeth. teeth. Somebody else is going to say that too. I heard it coming. That's great. Yep. Refused to be king. king. Yeah. Interesting. Good. Okay. Love it. Um, Okay. Awesome. I love that we know all those stories off the top of our heads. Um, do you remember the story about George Washington, that time where the British invaded and he fled to Mexico and he sold Martha to the king of Mexico for a whole bunch of money? Oh, yeah, that, that's not one of our stories. Um, it strikes me as super interesting that the majority of the stories that we know just off the top of our head, right, if we're ready to ask a question, um, we know mostly positive stuff about the founder of our people. And even the ones that aren't great, like we know Washington wasn't the most incredible general, we actually look back on things like the Battle of New York and say, but he ran away so well, right? I mean, he's so effective at getting our army to safety. Um, we have all these really positive stories. It's striking to me that at the beginning of the story of Abraham and the, the people of Israel, we get two really different stories. One is awesome and one is awful. So I want to think about these stories a little bit this morning. And uh, if you've got your Bible open, I'd love for you to just, just look at it as we talk. We're going to be in chapter 12 of Genesis a little bit. And this may have... Um, uh, an edge of, of more of a Bible study than a sermon this morning a little bit, but I think it's going to be important for us to understand the core message of this passage. So, uh, we, we have, I think, a very complex portrait of who Abram is going to be. By the way, we're going to spend some time on Sarai later, but she doesn't get as much attention um, as uh, an active character in this story. Uh, so, I, I want to point out some things that I think are awesome about Abram. So, really simple, uh, in the very beginning of chapter 12, the Lord, Yahweh, said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And verse 4 is the response, what does Abram do? So, Abram went. Right. Okay. This is awesome, right? God says, do something, and Abram does it. This is like the foundation, we've talked about this before, of kind of who we're supposed to be as a people, right? Do what God says. Now, there's really been one figure so far in our story that's been good at doing what God says, and that was a guy named Noah. Remember, remember Noah? Um, Noah really, so far in our story, um, has been, Abram, has been 
our, our most positive character. We were told that Noah was righteous. It's through Noah that the whole world is saved. Noah makes a covenant with God. Noah's really the best guy. And here we get, okay, maybe Abram's like Noah, right? He obeys God. That's awesome. Um, hey, you know what? There's some other ways that he's like Noah. Uh, maybe you remember this, maybe you don't, but after the flood, the first thing that Noah does when they get out of the ark is he builds an altar to the Lord, an altar to Yahweh, and he sacrifices on the altar. And you notice the only other person in the Bible so far to do that is Abram. Abram actually builds two altars to the Lord, right? Okay, so he's like Noah another way. He, he, he worships Yahweh, right? He's worshiping God. That's awesome. Um, and if Noah built one altar and Abram built two altars, maybe we're thinking Abram's like twice as great as Noah, right? I mean, no, it's, it's a legitimate question. Okay, uh, there's another thing that's even more obvious and maybe even more important in the story. So we remember that after the flood, God makes a covenant, a promise with Noah and through Noah with his family and all living things that God will never again destroy the earth by a flood. He'll never again uncreate the world. So God makes a similar covenant with Abram, doesn't He? Right in our passage today, He says, I'll bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you, and I'll bless those who bless you, and through you, all families on the earth will be blessed. So um, God makes a covenant with Abram like He made with Noah that affects literally the whole world, right? Um, that is awesome. So, Man, I'm thinking Abram is a lot like Noah. He's a lot like the best guy in the Bible we've met so far. Ooh, uh, fun, so fun side additions. Um, there's a line in our passage that says that Abram began to invoke the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh. And, and that's a sentence we've only seen once so far in the book of Genesis. And that was back in chapter 4 at the very end of the chapter when Adam and Eve have their third son, Seth. Remember, they have Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel, uh, and then they have another son, Seth. And that's like the good line. And in the time of Seth, they start calling on the name of the Lord, the exact same words. Um, so maybe God, uh, maybe Abram's a little bit like Seth, right, which is awesome. That's, that's a really good thing to be like. Seth's a good guy. There's, there's one more um, clue for us in this passage about who the founder of this people is going to be. Uh, and, and we get it in verse 7. Then the Lord Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. They're talking about the land of Canaan. He, he doesn't, uh, he, he says offspring, but the Hebrew word is seed, right? Oh, hey, seed sounds familiar to us. We've been talking about seed a lot. I told you that the most important verse in the whole Old Testament is Genesis 3.15, right, where, where God says to the serpent, um, her seed, the seed of the woman will strike your head and you will strike his heel, right? So, wow, we haven't heard the word seed in a long time. Maybe Abram is going to be the seed of the woman, meaning maybe he's like the Messiah that we've been waiting for, the one that's going to fix God's broken world. That's really exciting, Abram sounds like an awesome guy. Okay, let's keep reading. Abram has a weird moment. There's a famine in the land of Canaan. Uh, and you know that old expression, when the going gets tough, the tough run away to Egypt? Um, so that's what he does, right? They, he runs away to Egypt, and he leaves God's promised land, right? God said go, he went, and now he's leaving. That doesn't sound good. 
And as he leaves and prepares to enter a land where God doesn't want him to be, he looks to his wife, who's very pretty, and he says, you're very pretty. I'm afraid that everyone's going to kill me and, and kidnap you, take as your wife. Huh. And this reminds me of a story in the Old Testament that we've read before about a man who thought everyone was going to try to kill him. Right? And that man's name is Cain. Cain who killed his brother. And then afterwards, God said, uh, you're going to wander. And he says, no, no, I can't wander from my home. If I do, everyone's going to kill me. Right? Abram now wandering from his home, afraid everyone's going to kill him. And then Abram makes a really interesting comment to his wife. Interesting is a little bit of an understatement. He says, why don't you tell everybody that you're my sister so that they won't kill me when they meet you and see how pretty you are? Uh, and, and clearly the implication here is, you know, you could be married off, right? Brothers can, can marry off their sisters. Husbands don't ordinarily marry off their wives. Uh, and, and he says, this is... Um, this is verse 13. Say you are my sister, so it may go well with me because of you, and my life may be spared on your account. Um, when he says go well with me, it doesn't say well. Anybody want to guess what the Hebrew word is that it says there? Begins with a T. Tov. Yeah. We're, we're right back to the Garden of Eden. We're right back to the story of Adam and Eve wanting to decide what's good and bad, tov and ra, instead of letting God decide that for them. And Abram says, hey, I know it might be uncomfortable if I sell you as a, basically as a sexual slave to somebody else, you can marry them, but it'd be really good for me, right? It'd really tove for me. Um, and he, he sounds like Adam and Eve, right? He sounds like um, these people who are trying to decide for themselves what is good. Uh, and then, uh, if, if we kind of continue on in this story, um, we see that Pharaoh takes Eve into his house, and for her, verse 16, for her sake he dealt well with Abram. What it says is, for her sake he did tov to Abram. And everybody's confused about what tov is. Uh, okay, uh, we got to do something interesting. Um, Sometimes in Scripture, we get these allusions to other stories, right? Abram's a little bit like Noah and a little bit like Cain and a little bit like Seth and a little bit like Adam and Eve. Sometimes we get complete one-to-one -one parallels that you're supposed to notice, we're supposed to notice. So um, think back with me to the Garden of Eden for a minute. Uh, and there are only a few figures in the Garden of Eden that are really important. Let's leave God out of it for a second. Um, we got Adam and Eve, right, in the Garden of Eden. Um, and Adam and Eve are the, the folks that are, are tempted, right? They're, they're not malicious, but they are kind of gullible, and they, and they make a really bad choice. Um, we also have, what's the thing that they want? What's the thing that Adam and Eve want? Knowledge. You know, they want knowledge. They do want knowledge, but, but literally, what do they want? The fruit, right? They want the fruit. Okay, so we got the fruit. And, and do you remember, um, uh, maybe you... Uh, go back later and read Genesis 3, but remember we're told that Eve sees the fruit and sees that it's good and that it's a delight to the eyes, okay? And then there's one other figure in the, serp uh, in the story, and that's the serpent. Um, and, and the serpent is the deceiver, right? The serpent is the one that tricks Adam and Eve into wanting the fruit. Are we together? Familiar story. Who's the person who's tricked in Genesis 12? 
Who's the person who's tricked? What do you say? Pharaoh's tricked, right? Pharaoh's the one who doesn't know that Sarai is married, who thinks she's an eligible woman for marriage. Um, What's the thing that Pharaoh sees and thinks is good and a delight to his eyes, or maybe the person he sees? Sarai, yeah, right. Okay, who's the deceiver? Imagine if I told you uh, that in the first time you ever met the founder of your nation, you would hear that he might be the Messiah and he might be the devil. Oh, by the way, if you, if you think this is a little bit of a stretch, um, the comment that Pharaoh makes to Abram when he finds out that he's been deceived, he says, uh, what is this you have done to me? In the Hebrew, it's mazot. Everybody say mazot. We say this a lot in my family over the last week. Um, last night we had uh, this incredibly chi- good chicken schnitzel that my wife made, and then there was just like red uh, German cabbage thing on the side that looked a little bit scary. And my, one of my kids was like, Mom, mazot. What, what's that, right? What this? Um, mazot literally means what this. Uh, it's the exact same sentence that God says in chapter 3, verse 13 of the book of Genesis after he founds out what the serpent did. He looks at the serpent and he says, mazot, what is this? Okay, so here's why all of this matters. Um, Because we have this portrait of a guy um, who might be the great redeemer, who might be of the good line, who might even be the Messiah, but he might also be the bad murdering guy. He might also be those who brought evil into our world by wanting to decide what's good and not good. He might also be the serpent himself. And we're supposed to look at this guy and say, wow, I'm so excited to be in the line of Abram. I'm so excited to be in the covenant of Abram. I'm so excited that he's my spiritual ancestor. And Moses thinks, this is the first stuff I want you to know. As soon as I introduce you to the character of Abram, this is what I want you to know about him. He could be the Messiah. He could be the devil. And the question is, which one is he? And the answer is kind of both. The answer is kind of both. That, that part, maybe the core thing that Moses wants us to understand from this story is that Abram is this incredibly important figure in our story. He is the beginning of God's covenant with people, but he is not that person because he is deserving. He is not that person because he is righteous like Noah was righteous. He is not that person because he made great choices and God said, wow, of all the people I could pick, I'm going to pick Abram because he's so wonderful. No, he is as good and as bad as a person can possibly be. And the reason that he is the founder of the the Israelite people and the reason that he is the one through whom the covenant of grace will come is because God picks him. That's it. It's because God picks him. He doesn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He's not a great guy deep down. He's not the worst guy ever. He's just like us. Some good and some bad. Maybe his good is a little better and his bad is a lot worse 
for most of us, but He's just like us. Uh, and, and we struggle with this because we really like the idea of, of everybody getting what they deserve, right? We like the idea of a meritocracy, especially in our country. We like the idea um, that we should earn what happens to us, good or bad, uh, even though as Christians we know, you know, we're, none of us are perfect and none of us are good enough to earn heaven. Um, even though we know all of us are sinners not earning any merit, still we like this idea, boy, I wish it could be what I deserve. Bob Goff has a book called Living Grace, Walk in Love, and he tells a story that's familiar to a lot of us, but with a slightly different ending uh, reflection. He says, every year when I was in school, we were required to go to athletics, better known as gym class. I always hated it because there was a possibility we'd play kickball or dodgeball or pretty much anything that required a ball. That meant there would be team captains to pick players. It is a time-honored tradition that picking teams in gym class starts with the best and goes to the worst. I often have hoped God would make the bell ring 48 minutes early because I knew what was about to happen again. I wouldn't get picked. I was huge. I almost blocked the sun. That was good. But I was clumsy. That was bad. It was a terrible system, leaving me and all the other uncoordinated guys stranded on the sidelines, looking at each other in our gym shorts and t-shirts. It was clear who was cool and got picked and who wasn't. I'm so glad God doesn't choose who will be with Him the way the guys in gym class picked who would be on their team. God doesn't pick people because they're deserving. God doesn't pick people because um, the balance of their life is more positive than negative. God picks people because He picks people. God picks people because He chooses to partner with broken humans to try to repair the world. Uh, if God only picked people that deserved it, He'd only ever pick Jesus. Um, by the way, just imagine for a minute uh, a, a, a group of third graders at gym class, and team captains are picking teams, and they're all third graders, and there's one guy who's 25 years old. His name is Michael Jordan. He plays for the Chicago Bulls. Um, after you pick Jordan, you don't actually need any third graders. Are, are, are we together? Like Jordan plus five third graders, Jordan will win every time. Uh, and, and this is kind of God's situation, right? After Jesus, who does He need? He doesn't need anybody, but He wants us. That's the good news. God wants us, and we're told in Ephesians that we're, we're chosen in Christ, right? God picks Jesus, and because by faith we are united to Jesus, He picks us too. We're chosen in Christ. Uh, Robert Mulholland describes this. Uh, he says, I, I once heard a woman tell of her struggle with the reality of being an unwanted child. Her mother was a prostitute, and she was the accidental byproduct of her mother's occupation. Although her life's pilgrimage had brought her to faith in Christ, blessed her with a deeply Christian husband and beautiful children, and given her a life of love and stability, she was obsessed with her need to find out who her father was. This obsession was affecting her marriage, her family, and her life. She told how one day she was standing at the kitchen sink, washing the dishes, with tears of anguish and frustration running down her face into the dishwater. In agony, she cried out loud, Oh God, who is my father? Then she said she heard a voice saying to her, I am your father. The voice was so real, she turned around to see who would come into the kitchen, but there was no one there. Again, the voice came, I am your father, and I have 
always been your father. In that moment, she knew the profound reality that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 1. She came to know that deeper than the accident of her conception was the eternal purpose of a loving God who had spoken her forth into being before the foundation of the world. This is the good news of the story of Abram and the good news of the story of Jesus, that God picks us not because of where we came from or who we are or what we have done, but because we are in Christ, because we have placed our faith and trust and lives in Jesus. And once chosen, God doesn't turn His back on us. This is maybe the most fascinating part for me in this story of Abraham in chapter 12, is uh, that God makes a promise to Abraham. And then Abraham goes to Egypt like an idiot, and he sells his wife like an idiot. And then God punishes Pharaoh. It's weird, right? Because Pharaoh's not really the bad guy here. I mean, Abram's the bad guy, but God says, you know what? I have chosen to be in relationship with you. I have chosen to be in covenant with you. Um, I want you as my family, and so I'm willing to get into the messiness of your lives and try to bless you even when you're screwing everything up around you. When I was in elementary school uh, and middle school, I was on a travel soccer team, and we, you know, traveled around the state playing games, and my, one of my best friends was Michael Domino, and Michael and I were on this team together, and uh, there was a, a famous game in our families. Uh, we were in Fairfax, Virginia. I, I think we were in fifth grade. I'm not sure. And uh, Michael was a goalie. I was a defender. I was like a sweeper. And, and this particular day, there was just torrential downpour. And um, even when the game started, it was still raining a little bit, but the fields were just soaked. And so there were like huge mud puddles everywhere, uh, especially a particularly huge one around the goal, but they were just all over the field. Um, and I don't like to get dirty. Okay, I mean, I don't like slimy food. I don't like to get, it just all fits in together. Um, so uh, I was pretty good about playing until I got to a puddle. And then I would just kind of back up, let someone else bring the ball out of the puddle, and then try to take it away from them and go on with the game, right? Um, Michael Domino was not inhibited by the mud. So at the end of our game, uh, there's a picture. I wish I could have found it for this Sunday, but there was a picture of the two of us. And I'm standing next to Michael. And I am wearing my soccer jersey and my shorts and soccer socks and shoes, and I am pristine. <laughs> There's like maybe a couple of specks of mud on one of my socks, right? And Michael's standing next to me, and he is covered head to toe in mud. I mean, it is gross. Uh, and my face looks like this, and Michael is just beaming right? Like he has just had the game of his life. He was on the ground more than he needed to be. I think he was just playing in the mud, but that's not really the point. The, the, the point is, I think we think of God as approaching the messes of our lives and saying, I'm going to get out of here, and when you get out of the mud, I'll get back involved in the game. That's not the God we find in this story. This is a God who's willing to jump into the mud with us, right? Who's willing to get messy so that He can stay in relationship with us. A God who at the end of the day says, I love you so much that even being in the mess of your life brings me joy. Abram embodies the complicated reality of the people of Israel and the people of God today. We are chosen. We are not deserving 
but we are chosen. We are sinful, but we are not abandoned by God. He defends us. He follows us everywhere we go, even when we go away from the promised land. We are not chosen because we earned it or because of who we are or what we've done. We're chosen because God loves to choose us. You're chosen today. You're chosen to be Christ's, to be examples like Abraham of the ridiculous lengths that God will go to care for an often ridiculous people. By the way, you're not deserving, and neither is anyone else around you either. Let's not hold them to a standard that we can't meet. God chose you to bless them, just as He chose you to bless you. So, uh, as we reflect on that promise, perhaps all we can say is to echo the words of Paul, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Thanks be to God.